us to uh, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, found on page 1,090. Starting at verse 1. But, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And there he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and uh, the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and, and taking food, he was strengthened. I have a confession this morning. I guess it's kind of a guy thing, but I won't watch TV without a remote control. It's one of my pet peeves. And I've learned something about remote controls. If you can't find it, ask your wife. Now, I don't know how she does it, you know, but I can be looking in a room for five minutes and not find it. And she comes in and picks it up right where I was looking. Now, since I just looked in that very spot, I know that she put it there. Since we're talking about conspiracy theories here, (laughs) my wife also hides my keys. I can look all over for them. You know where they're at? She hung them up. Why would I look on the key rack if I didn't put them there? But she does this to me. She's trying to drive me absolutely crazy sometimes. So then lately I just say, honey, where's my keys? And she gets mad at me. I don't know why. (laughs) Right, dear? (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Sometimes it's hard to see what's right in front of your eyes, right? 
Sometimes you think you can see, and, and really you can't. You can't see what's right before you. And I think that describes Paul on the Damascus Road. He thought he could see, but he really couldn't. And once he met Jesus, once he saw that light, everything changed in his life. Listen to how the Bible describes Saul in a couple different places. Acts 23.6, we're told that Saul was a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee, so he grew up in that kind of a family. Philippians 3, it describes Saul as being circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. As a Pharisee, he could speak Arabic and Greek, and, and Saul knew his Bible. Acts 8.3 describes Saul as a roaring lion going from house to house, dragging away believers, people who were part of the way. Chapter 9, we get a glimpse of, of how intense Paul's hate was. He, he had gotten letters so that when he went to Damascus, any one that he found that was a Christian, he could, he could tie up and, and bring back to Jerusalem, put him in prison. Up to this point, I, I'm sure Saul had convinced himself that what he was doing was a good thing, was godly, was, was righteous, was what God wanted him to do. He was trying to get rid of the infidels. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Trying to get rid of the infidels, and the way you did that was by by putting them in prison or, or killing them. But the problem was, Saul knew Judaism, but he really didn't know God. Saul had an a inherited religion that was passed on to him, but he really didn't have a relationship with God. He didn't yet know Jesus. And, and there's a, a, a huge difference. Having a religion, following a religion as opposed to having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because without a relationship with Jesus, everything is meaningless. Well, Saul's days of walking in darkness were almost over, and as he was making his way to Damascus, verse 4 tells us that suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. And Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In Acts 26.14, this is a story of when Paul was talking to King Agrippa, and he was telling King Agrippa about what happened on the Damascus Road. And, and he adds a couple more facts. He said, Christ said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What's a goad? Well, it's a long pointed stick that usually had a, a bit of metal on the end of it. And, and what you did with this is, if you had oxen, generally, and you wanted them to uh, obey, you would just gently prod them with your goad and so that they would move or they would turn or do what you wanted them to do. But oxen can be stubborn, and so sometimes they just don't want to move, and so you got to take your goad and keep kind of poking it in the same spot, either on the, on the oxen's rump or on his neck, and, and that spot starts to get sore after a while. And so... When you, you, you stick that goad there, after a while, they're, they're, they're ready to go. But they don't like it at all, and so then they kick because they're trying to get rid of that irritant. And 
Jesus was saying to Paul, to Saul, that's, that's what's happening with you. You're kicking against the goad, but Saul, you're not going to win. And so after Saul loses his sight, you can just imagine how devastating that must have been for him. I mean, he asked the Lord, who are you, Lord? Which is a good question. He thought he knew who God was. And suddenly he realized that he didn't. And what he thought was righteous and good, suddenly he realized that he was actually persecuting Jesus as he persecuted believers. Literally in the Greek, Saul was asking Jesus, Who are you to me, Lord? Who are you to me? In other words, should I fear you? Should I love you? Should I run away from you? Who are you to me? Are you my Savior or destroyer? Again, Saul finally realizes he just doesn't know the God who, who he thought he did. Jesus answers, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you have been persecuting. Now, in addition to this, think of all the other things that Saul had to feel guilty about. He was present when Stephen was stoned, and he gave the okay for that. He was also responsible for putting countless Christians into prison, ending their lives, putting them to death. Imagine all the Christians that were tortured at, at, Paul's, at Saul's say-so. And how do you deal with guilt like that? After you finally realize that what you thought was so good was, is not, how do you deal with that? Well, we know that Jesus forgave him. That's why he died on the cross. But it, it's hard to forgive yourself, isn't it? I wonder how many nights... Paul went to sleep feeling the guilt of that, of what he had done, wishing that he could have a do-over. Let me put it another way. How does someone who drank half their life fail to provide for their family, pawned your kid's stuff to buy drugs? How do you deal with the guilt? How do you deal with the guilt? How do you deal with your mistakes as a parent? How do you deal with your mistakes as a husband or, or a wife? There's all times, there, there, there's times for all of us that we blow it and we know it and we feel guilty afterwards through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. How do you keep from needing to numb that pain with alcohol or drugs or for something else, trying to fill that void in your life? Well, we need to discover what Paul discovered. There's so many places that I could point to, but listen to 1 Corinthians 15.10. And Paul says this, Despite the terrible things he had done, Paul says, It is by the grace of God I am what I am. In other words, he's saying, Yeah, I'm a sinner. And the things that I committed, terrible, horrible. But by the grace and mercy of God, I am who I am. I've been called. I've been saved. I've been shown the grace and mercy of Jesus. And just as, just as he received forgiveness, he can now freely share it with others. And this is literally what we see him doing afterwards. 
He felt that call. He felt that desire that others might know that same good news that he discovered. That in Jesus Christ, all our sins are forgiven. And then Ananias. We're really not going to talk about him this morning, but let me just mention him in passing. Can you imagine how tough that must have been to go and find Saul, even though he had heard all kinds of things about Saul, how evil he was, how he had been capturing Christians and, and putting them in jail, sending them to the amphitheater. And yet, because God asked him to, because Jesus asked him to, he went. The forgiveness that Jesus had shown Ananias, God was now telling Ananias, you need to share it with others. You need to go share it with Paul, with Saul. Let me return for a minute, though, to what Jesus told Saul about the goad. Now, Jesus had been gently poking Saul, getting his attention, directing him to this point he was in his life. And Saul, he was just stubborn. He wasn't, he wasn't about to, to surrender to the Lord, or so he thought. But Jesus kept poking him with that goad, and it got a little harder and harder, and harder. And suddenly, Saul couldn't, have, he couldn't avoid it any longer because he had lost his sight. His life had come to a, a standstill. He didn't eat for three days. He didn't drink for three days. You can just imagine how, how hard this must have been for him to be able to see and suddenly not, to know that the one who did it was the one that you had been persecuting. Why did Jesus do this? Why did he keep poking Saul with that goad? Was it because he was punishing him? I don't think so. It was out of love. He was getting Saul's attention. This is part of God's irresistible grace. We talk about that, that word and it's an amazing, it's a beautiful word. Irresistible grace. It's the grace of God that you just you, you can't avoid. You can't turn away from it. When, when, when Jesus chooses to show you that irresistible grace, there, there, there's no stopping it. It overwhelms us. And it draws us to Him. Listen to how the canons in Dort describe this irresistible grace. Article 14. In this way, therefore, faith is a gift of God, not in the same sense that it is offered by God for man to choose, but that it is an actual fact bestowed on man, breathed and infused into him. Breathed and infused into him. What beautiful words. That's what God does with his irresistible grace when he captures us and calls us to follow him. John 6, no one can come to me this is Jesus speaking. Unless the Father who sent me draws him. That good work has to begin with God through the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing us to himself. You know, many who hear the, 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 the gospel message, you know, they, they refuse it. And, and that might surprise you, but you got to keep in mind that the gospel message, it, it's an external call. And unless the Lord begins that work inside us, 
that, that seed of the gospel, it's not going to find fertile soil to grow in. God's got to begin that work. He's got to prepare your hearts so that seed can find a place to grow. Why can't all come to know Christ? And we've talked about this in the past weeks. It's because we're dead to our sins. We're totally depraved. And without the grace and mercy of God, it's impossible on our own to respond to that gospel message. The Lord's got to give us the ability to be able to respond. And as we've said before, through it all, God gets all the glory. Salvation from beginning to end, God gets all the glory. None of it goes to us. He's a lover of our souls. He's simply irresistible. So what must we conclude? When God calls your name, there's no refusing it. When God calls your name, there's no refusing it. Christ's love, it conquers our hearts. He knew you before the creation of the world. The preaching of the gospel, it's a means to draw you to himself. And that was his plan from before the foundations of the world. That you would follow him. That you would be his child. Again, later for, for Saul, we, we don't just see him sitting around, but we see him respond to that gift of grace. To that irresistible grace. By giving his life to the Lord. I think you could say that, that Saul responded with thanksgiving, as we're all called to respond with thanksgiving to this gift of salvation. I know in, in chapter 22, verse 10, when it's account of Paul speaking to the crowd in Jerusalem, and as he describes his Damascus Road experience to the people, he adds this detail in verse 10. To Jesus' revelation of himself, we hear Saul asking, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? See, that's responding to the grace of God. That's responding to his, his love. And it's acknowledging that, that Jesus was Lord of his life. And so now he's not ready to live for himself. He, he doesn't want to live for himself anymore, but he wants to live his life for Jesus, to live for His honor and glory. Paul later wrote, we live by faith, not by sight. I wonder where he got that idea from. We live by faith, not by sight. Because that's literally what happened to him, right? We are also on a faith journey. And part of what it means to walk by faith, it means to walk in obedience. God wants to use us. He empowers us. He blesses us so that we might live for His honor and glory. So that we might live our lives for Him. But this will never happen so long as you're kicking against the goads. So long as you're fighting back against God, unwilling to surrender your life totally to Him. When we were living in New Mexico, the Navos had a practice that always seemed kind of harsh to me, at least at first. 
I remember visiting an older woman in, in the church we were, uh, that I was pastoring. And this woman raised sheep. I think she had 20 or 30 of them. Not a huge flock, but it was enough to, it was enough so that she could live off of them. And I remember going to visit her and she had a, a lamb that was in the pen with a, a, a splint on its leg. And when I asked about the lamb, she said that lamb, it, it kept trying to run away. So yesterday, she says, I broke his leg. And I think because of the expression on my face, she explained exactly what, what had happened. She says, this lamb kept running off. It, it wouldn't follow me. It wouldn't follow the, the other sheep. And it was going to get into trouble. It was going to get lost. The, the, the coyotes were going to get it. And she goes, despite my bringing it back over and over and over again, it just kept going astray. So I finally broke its leg. And she goes, but now I'm mending it. She goes, I put a splint on it. I've been babying this, this, this lamb. And, and she goes, eventually it's going to follow me and follow me alone. Because right now, she goes, we're, we're building a relationship. She goes, but it's a lot of work. She goes, because I have to bring it its food. I can't let it out of its pen. I have to bring it water. She goes, it wasn't an easy choice to break that lamb's leg, but it had to be done for the sake of the lamb. She goes, that lamb will eventually be the best sheep that she has. She goes, all because I broke its leg. Many ways, isn't that what Christ does? to us when we're stubborn when we refuse to follow he sends things into our lives to get our attention hopefully he won't have to break our legs <laughs> that's a tough way to go but I think you understand the point he gets our attention so that we will follow him and sometimes he takes things away from us so that we will focus our eyes on him while it may seem like punishment at the time, you have to remember that Jesus does it out of his love for you and me. It's part of his irresistible grace. It's nice when that grace comes so sweetly and beautifully and, and we're willing to submit to it, but sometimes we're not. And yet it's still the sweet, irresistible grace of God as he stops us in our tracks. And he pulls us back to himself. This morning, are you kicking against the goads? Or have you surrendered yourself to the grasp of God's invisible grace? Praise the Lord for God's love and his unwillingness to ever let us go. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, forgive us, Lord, when we're like Saul. We're stubborn. We want to go our own way. We don't want to submit to your will for our lives. Lord, we want to live for the world and also live for you. And Lord, it, we end up falling flat on our face. Lord, but thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for not treating us as our, our sins deserve. Thank you that in your grace, you, you, you draw us back to yourself. That you never let us go. Father, just as 
Saul showed his thanksgiving to you by the way he lived his life from that point on, may it also be true for us. May they know we are Christians by our love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amazing Grace. We're going to sing the first four verses, and then we'll have the parting blessing, and then the last verse. Would you stand?